live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You know what I'd do if I owned a hockey team? This is the Press Box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week to sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. Here we go, Ted, Tyler, and Danny on a Wednesday. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, did you see, before we get to you know what, did you see last night uh, the umpire take the shattered bat in the in the ne- in the face? No. What game? The Dodgers Angels? No. So Trout's up in the ninth and um, shatters the bat as it's coming back, and a huge splinter comes off, goes through the mask of the oh umpire. Oh, God. Almost takes the eye out. Bleeding had to go off. What? I, I thought I'd start with a nice story today. That's fantastic. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Las Vegas. <laughs> I just want to know if you saw that. No. Lesson. Yeah. Yeah. In the ninth inning, Trout shatters his bat. Uh, and it just, it, 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 he gets a, he gets a single out of it because Lux can't catch the ball ever. Uh, <laughs> and, and it goes to the poor guy's mask. Jesus. Yeah. It was bad. I mean, that that's. That's close to taking an eye out. But did not take his eye out. No, but he was bleeding. So he was... I mean, he was down. He went... He he, he collapsed. Jesus. Yeah, and Trout, of course, just went to... Trout, of course, didn't know, so he wanted to make sure Will Smith was okay <laughs> as he ran out of the base for a single because Lux can't catch a ball. He checked on the catcher, not yes, the home Yes, he checked on the catcher, not, and the umpire <laughs> sprawled on the ground behind Will Smith. Will Smith got up. He was fine. It didn't come near him. Trout looks back at Will Smith. You okay? You Okay. And then he uh, I, runs the first. Interesting. How often do you break your bat and it goes straight back? I Danny's looking at it right now. Did you see that? It's. I mean, it it shatters. Yeah, that's gnarly. It shatters right above where his hands are, and then like the barrel of the bat goes backwards, and the point goes straight through the eye holes. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. But they got the win, so and know, yeah, Trout, always a positive, always a positive ending to something really bad. As the ump's falling to the ground, grabbing his face, <laughs> Trout asks the catcher if he's okay before he runs. Well, you got to check on Will Smith. They got a, they got an opening in their fantasy league, so that's right. Exactly. <laughs> might have to invite yeah. Will Smith. Thought yeah, I'd start I'm, off with a I'm happy watching story. it too. That's that's rough. Yeah, it's a rough one. Oh. I saw that we weren't in the front page. I thought I'd get that out there right away. That's good. Well, yeah. why not? Get it out of the way. All right. Let's, let's, let's talk, about a, let's talk about a hockey coach. The first bite. Will the Golden Knights win a Stanley Cup with Bruce Cassidy? <laughs> Boy, let's go right off the top. They better. <laughs> That's the whole point, isn't it? I guess so. Boy, what an, what an opening question. They fired two coaches yeah. in like the last four yeah. years that got to the conference finals yeah. at least. That should be the, the expectation the for Cup. Bruce Cassidy. I mean, it is. Win the I, Cup. So here, in all seriousness, they fired Gerard Gallant and hired Pete DeBoer to win a Stanley Cup. Right. And then after firing Pete DeBoer and not winning a Stanley Cup, Kelly McCrimmon was like, well, you can't look at the DeBoer era as anything but successful, which is wrong. I mean, sure, it's not necessarily Pete DeBoer's fault, but... They didn't hire Pete DeBoer to go to the conference finals and lose. They didn't hire and for Pete them DeBoer. to fire him. Right. Just to be a good team. They made that coaching change to win a Stanley cup. And we're now granted. It's not the middle of the season. Like the, the Gallant firing was, but it's the same exact scenario. <laughs> they didn't like, if they were just, if they were just worried about being a good team, they wouldn't have fired him. Pete DeBoer's still the coach of this team. Right. right? There's, there's nothing that implies Pete DeBoer would not coach this team 
into the playoffs next year, unless there's 30 injuries. So the whole point here is to win the Stanley cup. And so if the golden Knights don't win it with Bruce Cassidy, that's ultimately a failure. I mean, that's what it is. And here's the interesting part. Bruce Cassidy has absolutely no postseason success. Six years in Boston. They lost in the first round twice, the second round three times. They did win the East in 2019. Which is some success. Lost in the, the cup stand, final. Lost in the cup this final. This team loses in the cup final. That is, we're not looking back saying, good job, Bruce Cassidy. Good job, front office. You right. guys made the right decision. They win the Stanley Cup, we are. But that's like, you're talking about a coach that in six seasons has underperformed in five of them. Significant. I mean, you lose in the first round twice. That's pretty brutal. You lose in the second round the other three times. That's not good either. So I'm I'm curious to see what happens postseason-wise because you effectively have the coach of a team that didn't get far in the playoffs most years and a team in the Golden Knights that until this past season would come up short in the postseason and they kept changing their coaches because they were trying to get over the hump in the postseason and they hired a guy who's never actually done that. So I'm curious to see what happens when we get there. Well, and for a guy who went out in the first round twice, second round three times, they obviously had really good numbers and you have them all down here in the regular season. I, I actually think like if you are going by resume, I think they might have gotten the best coach. I think even more so than Barry Trotz because Bruce Cassidy in Boston, regular season wise, I mean, phenomenal. Terrific. It's it, it just the last six years with Boston, his say, uh, points percentage was 672, which is the equivalent of 110 points mm-hmm. in an 82 game season that he averaged that for six years. That's incredible. And if you look at like Barry Trotz doesn't have that kind of regular season success, he's been coaching a lot longer and he did finally get a Stanley cup, but it's not like Barry Trotz has won like, Oh, he's won four cups in 20 years. Trotz has he's won it once and credit to him for that. But I think you can easily make the argument that they got the best coach available, available. There's just no postseason success to point to and say, yes, he's going to be the reason a team gets over the hump. And here's, here's the other part that I find very interesting about Bruce Cassidy. His Boston Bruin teams over the last three seasons at five on five, they took the ninth most shots in the league and surrendered the third fewest, Mm -hmm. right? Great defensive team. Don't give up many shots. They were actually best in expected goals allowed and goals allowed at five on five over the last three seasons. Very good. It defensively took the ninth most shots though, only scored the 14th most goals with the 15th best expected goals. And they had the fourth worst shooting percentage in the NHL over the last three seasons. Now is the coach responsible for a team shooting percentage? Probably not, but what's been the golden Knights problem in the postseason? Are you saying that he's coming into a team that's going to continue such a mode? That's what the golden Knights have been in the postseason. That's what their issue has been in the postseason. When they've lost is it's not, Defensively, right. it's not. I mean, there's been some bad goaltending games, but it's not defensively. That's not why they've it's lost not goaltending. It's because Montreal or hell, they won the series against Vancouver, but Vancouver and Dallas, they lost because they couldn't they score. Couldn't, they couldn't score. They couldn't shoot. And that's exactly what the Boston Bruins have been: great defensively, but an average goal scoring team. And so I, I just, I think Cassidy has a great resume, but he seems to be exactly what the Golden Knights have been. And I don't know if you put those two things together and they fix themselves. It would seem to be they're going to be a great defensive team. 
They're not going to give up many goals, but we're going to be talking about where's their goal scoring coming from? Who's scoring goals from this team? And if you add on to that, a look at the roster, who is scoring well, goals for this team? And that's what we have to wait on, right? We have to wait on the the, the moves they make and, and who comes back and who's scoring goals. But you're right in the sense that if it's still the main components that we've seen, that's the biggest issue. Who's who's going to score? If, if, if the main guys come back and they don't move like a huge name. Yeah. I mean, right now you'd go Pacioretty, Eichel, Marcheseau as yeah. your best three yeah. goal scorers. I would, I would assume if, you know, they get a full season of help, those are the best three. And Eichel's not even like a true, just, he's not like a, just a true goal scorer, no. right? Marcheseau and Pacioretty are solid, but that's, that's kind of it after that. It's like, okay, Mark Stone or William Carlson or Chandler Stevenson, those guys, the reason they're getting paid or the reason they're on this team is because of everything they do besides goal scoring. The goal scoring is, I mean, helpful, but it's more of an added bonus to what they do. They don't have like the true goal scorers on this team. And we've seen defensively, they've got Theodore Petrangelo, they've got some names, but it hasn't really translated to massive goal totals from the defenseman. There's no Kale McCarr out here scoring for Vegas. So I'm, I'm curious because just you match up what has been the golden Knights biggest problem with what the Bruins biggest problem was with Bruce Cassidy. And it's like, Oh, they're the same thing. So they didn't exactly go out and find a coach that is going to fix what's been the biggest problem for the six days and 22 hours. This guy was without a job. I mean, he, he must've got fired and they were on the phone that day. And you have, you have the McPhee connection from Washington. This is, which was, this is maybe, I mean, there's the, there's your connection. I mean, it's maybe the funniest thing. They just hired a coach that George McPhee's already fired. Yeah. In two thousand the two thousand three, two thousand four Capitals, Bruce Cassidy was his second year as the head coach there, got fired after he started eight, eighteen, and one. And it was George McPhee that Who fired was the him. general manager. Yeah. And that yeah. year they were tanking, right? They they traded a bunch of players away. They ended up drafting Alex Ovechkin first overall in the very next draft. And then the Capitals started to take off in terms of, you know, being a contender most years. But yeah, this is a coach that George McPhee has already <laughs> fired. And about 20 years later, he's like, you know what? I'm going to hire guy's, that guy. This again. guy's gotten better. He's gotten better over time. I do. I do think the Golden Knights deserve some credit for not waiting around for Barry right. Trotz. Because I have thought this entire time it was kind of ridiculous. The idea that Barry Trotz would hold the rest of the league hostage, that everybody would be waiting around for Barry Trotz. And so I think the Golden Knights deserve some credit for just saying, yeah, whatever, we're going to hire Bruce Cassidy. Well, it's it's now an easy decision for Barry Trotz. All the beer you can drink and go home to Winnipeg. That should be done today. It should be. Pete DeBoer to Dallas. All these these should be done today. I'm still assuming Barry Trotz does not have cell phone service in the middle of Canada (laughs) somewhere. You still have this guy in some lake in Canada. Has no idea what's going on. But like, I'm, I I think the Golden Knights deserve credit (laughs) for just not waiting around for Barry Trotz because... A, that's boring from a our standpoint of talking about it. But B, like, who is Barry Trotz that much better than Bruce Cassidy? Is Barry Trotz that going to be that much more? No, they might have gotten the better guy. Time will tell, but they right. might have gotten the better guy. Like, I just don't believe there's a big enough difference between Trotz and Cassidy and hell, Trotz and like Rick Tockett or whoever the hell would have been third on the on the depth chart for coaches this offseason. I just don't believe the coach makes Trotz and Pete DeBoer right. That's significant of a difference that you need to wait around for the number one guy. Like it's, it's the head coach of a hockey team. Hell half the time they'll tell you, well, they just got to execute. Like half the time they downplay their own job as to how much they can actually do. So 
I do think they deserve a little bit of credit for that. All right, coming up next, you know what? Let's stick right here with the Golden Knights because I got more on Bruce Cassidy as the next head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Kevin Weeks is reporting that the Philadelphia Flyers have offered their head coaching job to John Tortorella. Weeks was the first one to report that Bruce Cassidy was going to be the Golden Knights head coach yesterday. (laughs) A call from Las Vegas? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Sure. So Tortorella could be gone. I guess that's not a he's accepted the job, but the Flyers have offered John Tortorella the job. So here's a here's a Barry Trotz question for you. I was going to ask you if the Golden Knights hiring Bruce Cassidy meant that they got word that Trotz wasn't going to come to Vegas. But now that we see Philadelphia sort of making a move and offering their job, like we're, we're, we're starting to see dominoes fall, even though Trotz hasn't. What's what's happened with Barry Trotz? Is Maybe he, everyone thinks he's eventually just going to go home to Winnipeg and he, they're just moving on. Yeah, did did he basically did is there any evidence I guess is there any reason to believe that he has started telling teams, "Yeah, I'm going to take the Winnipeg um, job?" I think there's also evidence that he said he wants to be part of management or have a a bigger say and not every team is open to that. I mean, you know the one here wouldn't have been. Do you think that's ultimately the reason? Like maybe if we assume Trotz he wants wanted as much the power Vegas as possible. Job, right. If we assume he wanted to coach in Vegas because, hey, best place to win a Stanley Cup among the open right. jobs. Do you think that could be the reason ultimately that they didn't hire Barry Trotz? Because he was like, well, you're going to make me the coach and you're going to give me um, this role in the front office. It could have been. I, I think they really liked Bruce Cassidy. And I think that McPhee had McPhee felt comfortable with him because they had the prior relationship, even though they, he fired him. But that was a long time ago. I mean, he's had a lot more success since then. I think McPhee probably this time around uh, liked the fact that he had that closer relationship with someone and that he felt comfortable with him. And uh, to your point on the other on the other part, there's n- I don't think you and I believe that there's any chance that Barry Trotz would have gotten any kind of managerial position. If not, if, if he did, it would have been a, in, in title only. Because right. we know who runs that organization. Right. But Winnipeg, to bring him home and the free beer for life, they, they might make the guy the owner. <laughs> <laughs> they might say, you now own the team, Barry. I mean, so maybe that was it. Maybe he held out because he wanted more power. I mean, he I'm sure he knew he was number one guy in the market. And when you're number one guy in the market, you can make demands. Especially if you have Winnipeg that's potentially going to meet all your demands. Right. Exactly. You can, if you have a team that's willing to do all that. Yeah then you can basically use that in negotiations sure. with other teams and say, listen, if you want me, here's what Winnipeg's yeah, going to sure. give me. So Absolutely. You better ma- match that or I'm just going to go coach in Winnipeg. And I I don't know. Maybe Trotz wasn't actually interested in Vegas. I think that's entirely possible, that too, is. that he was like, yeah, sounds cool, but not really. That could be entirely possible, but I, I do think it's interesting that we're now seeing dominoes fall in the coaching search without Trotz having officially, at least, d- picked where he's going or right. said what he's doing or a team's hired him. Right. And again, maybe he's already started to tell teams, yeah, I'm taking the Winnipeg job, but I do feel like that would have been reported by now too. Right. Yes. I think like, Kevin Weeks would Kevin have reported Weeks would have that had by that. now. So, he would have had that. So I, it's, it's curious that the dominoes are falling first. Um, here's another uh, question for you on Bruce Cassidy. Do you believe that the Golden Knights had any idea or any thought that Bruce Cassidy might get fired when they fired Pete DeBoer? I don't think so. I think Bruce Cassidy was told late in the process that he was coming back. It was mo- it was a lot like 
it seems like it was a lot like the Pete DeBoer situation. Like there was an assumption that, no, he'll be back because of all the injuries. And then they started talking, and a week later he was fired. And uh, the GM didn't deny this, and Cassidy was on the record saying that he was told he'd get his last year of his contract, much like Pete had one year less of his contract. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason between that statement and their whole end-of-the-year conversations like Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer, they fired him. So I don't think they're sitting there. Now, do I think they fired Pete DeBoer and th- started thinking about Barry Trotz right away? I do think that yeah. happened. I do think when Barry Trotz got fired, they're like, oh, okay, this guy might be available. Let's get rid of Pete. Because, And the reason I, I find that part of the conversation curious is when they fired Pete DeBoer, it was a bit of a surprise. And the general thought was, well, at least on our show, was that, well, you, you should have somebody Someone else in line. ready to go or at least in mind to go out and hire because Pete DeBoer wasn't like a bad coach with the Golden Knights. You weren't firing a guy because of Pete DeBoer was just not a good coach. You could win with Pete DeBoer. And if you're going to fire that, you need to, you need to know you're getting something better, right? You could fight. They could have fired DeBoer and ended up with something worse than Pete DeBoer. That was certainly possible. So the idea that they would fire him and not have a good idea of who was next seemed a little foolish, right? That would just be change for the sake of change, which is dumb, so I do wonder if they had any idea, but like you say with the timeline, probably not because DeBoer got fired and then, what is it, a week, two weeks later is when Cassidy actually right. got fired. So probably not, but I do wonder if there was any any, any thought in their mind that, hey, this guy might get let go. I wonder if they went through some of the like, hey, if we could hire anybody, even if they have a current job, who would it be? Could it be that they felt good enough about Tockett that they were thinking that way? Maybe. And that that might be a legitimate thing, too. They might have looked out there and thought, okay. Because he was available the entire yeah, time. They, they might have looked out and said, okay, Barry Trotz is available. We would love to hire Barry Trotz. Rick Tockett's available. We'd be perfectly fine with hiring Tockett. And then we'll see if anybody else Gets becomes, bumped. becomes available. Exactly. And Cassidy did, and they made that move. That might be it, too, that they felt comfortable enough with somebody like Rick Tockett that they thought, okay, well, we, we can, can get him. Right, and we can take our time and see if anything better is available. And something and, did. Right, and then go from there. That might be a legitimate way they looked at it, too. Although, I think if they hired Tockett today, I'd probably be telling you, ooh, they downgraded for Pete DeBoer. Oh, I think we'd both be saying that. So Absolutely. They you, might not think you, that You way, already but. put out the – I mean, it all goes to the postseason, right? What have you done in the postseason – and he had done absolutely nothing. Pete yeah. DeBoer went to two Stanley Cup finals. Right. Tockett went once with Arizona, and it was in the bubble. And right. I'll, I will I will steal the point from Ryan Wallace when he had him on talking about Tockett a couple weeks ago. It's Arizona, and like that's true. We're not like it's it's tough. And they to were blame. rebuilding in Tampa. It's tough to blame one guy for the Arizona Coyotes right. sucking. But he didn't elevate them either. There was no reason to look at him and say, oh, what a great job he did there. It's more or less, oh, don't really blame him for how poorly things went. So maybe not entirely blame Tockett there. But Golden Knights' new head coach is Bruce Cassidy coming over from the Boston Bruins where he spent the last six years um, as the head coach. A lot of regular season success, but not much postseason success for Boston uh, under Cassidy. The whole new voice thing, I enjoy that as well. That's always been fun because Bruce Cassidy got fired and Boston said they because his a new voice, voice wasn't any yeah. good. They need, Boston needs a new voice. Right. Vegas needs a new voice. So the, Vegas is hiring Boston's voice that wasn't good anymore for Boston. The voices are probably why 
the shelf life, and this guy lasted six years in Boston because I think the average lasts three and a half in the NHL. It's amazing. They bounce guys all the time around this league. But the voice is always like the number one reason. In the room. Two things you hear about. You hear about the voice and you hear about in the room. I love I love those two cliches. And, you know, fresh voice. And the funny thing is, reportedly, and you talk to people back in Boston, I talked to one beat writer yesterday, he let the veterans lead the room. Some veterans didn't like that he was he was pretty demanding. I guess that's the best word to say it. And that the young guys were a little afraid of him because if they made a mistake, they were suddenly scratched. So let me ask you this. He comes to a veteran team now. I had a quote from him today in my column where he said, I've got to you know rethink the messaging this time. Like, how does a veteran team react to that? Let's say he the messaging is the same and he's pretty demanding with guys. I don't know. I mean, I guess we're going to have to see because he is taking over what is a veteran team. Yeah. I mean, there's no good young players that we have to worry about them scratching. So <laughs> they traded those guys. All <laughs> they <away>. don't <laughs> exist on this team. All the all the young players are guys that should probably be in the AHL. Yes. So if they get scratched, <laughs> oh, well, so no real issue there. It'll be I mean, if he scratches like Pacioretty, that'd be that'd, that'd be, a, be a hell of a week on the show. But right. Gerard Gallant did that once. Didn't work out very well for him. So I yeah, I. I, the whole voice thing is such a weird cliche that gets yes. thrown around in this sport. Like it's it's, a, and it gets thrown around a lot. Does that happen in other sports? And like, I know Quinn Snyder said something similar when he stepped down from the jazz, but I feel like every single hockey coach that f- gets fired or steps down, whatever, every single time there's a reference to, we need a new, new voice, voice. a I, fresh voice. I don't know that that happened in other sports. They just fire guys. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of sucked. Like, we lost a lot, so we need a new coach. Like, very rarely is like, ah, we had to get rid of that guy because his voice was getting too They weren't monotone. listening anymore. Right. Like, they weren't following him anymore. Like, yeah, normally that coincides with the team sucking, and there's right. an obvious reason for it. I don't know. It's weird. So here's a, here's a final thought on Bruce Cassidy for right now. Year and a half in Washington was his first coaching stint before he got fired by George McPhee. Gallant... And DeBoer lasted two and a half years. Is Bruce Cassidy the coach of this team for three full seasons? I will say yes. I will say yes, he is. I will say no, he is not. Okay. Three full. Three full seasons. Okay. I do not believe he will be the head coach of this team. Does it come with any stipulations? Like, like he doesn't what? win a cup? Like if if he gets to the cup final? Yeah, if he gets like to the Western Conference finals two out of the three years, I think he stays. DeBoer did that. He's yeah, DeBoer gone. did that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how his voice is. That's yeah. right. That's he's got, right. He's got to keep a new voice. He's got to keep month. that fresh. He's got to keep that voice fresh. Coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. Do you believe the Golden Knights got the best coach available, or should they have waited to get official word from Barry Trotz? I mean, I'm a person who always thinks, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So if Bruce Cassidy says yes to you, I don't think you're exactly turning him down to waiting to see, you know, when Barry Trotz is going to finally, you know, take up the white smoke from, I assume, his Manitoba cabin and, you know, divine which team he's going to take over next season. I think if Bruce Cassidy, with what he did in Boston, says he's ready to roll, uh, I would work pretty hard to get his signature as soon as possible, and it looks like the Knights did exactly that yesterday. Yeah, how because of the McPhee connection, it does seem like what it was six days. 
Uh, we asked this question before you came on. When they fired DeBoer, did they have any idea this was going to happen? Uh, we didn't think so because Bruce Cassidy thought he was coming back. But it, it just seems like it was such an easy decision for them once he became available, even though George had fired him a long time ago in Washington. How do you think that connection you know, played into this? And did George just think, well, he's a lot better now? Obviously, I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, no offense to Bruce Cassidy, but I'm sure even he would probably say uh, it was probably hard to be worse in his Washington tenure than how that went, where he didn't even make it uh, 30 games into his second season with that team before being fired. They were 18-1-1 at the time, but obviously he became a much better coach in his kind of long climb back up the coaching ladder. I mean, this is a guy who, after he was fired as a head coach in 2003, was an NHL assistant coach, a junior hockey coach, an American hockey league coach, uh, finally an NHL assistant again in Boston, and then obviously the head coach for you know parts of the last six seasons with the Bruins, where he had the second best record in the NHL behind only John Cooper with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So when a guy like that becomes available. I think it doesn't necessarily matter uh, what maybe your your plan A was. He's a guy that I think is worth kind of scrambling a little bit for and seeing how he fits into your plans. And I think if you have, obviously, not only a guy like that coming available, but a guy like that that you also have some familiarity with and have some idea of, like, we've worked with him before, we can figure out how to work with him again, I think that only bumps him higher on the list. So it's not surprising to me that the Golden Knights saw him and were like, you know what, this is definitely worth exploring. Let's see if we can find a way to make this work and make this a fit. Does Bruce Cassidy's uh, lack of success in the postseason matter? Like, is that going to ultimately be a reason they don't get it done here in Vegas with Cassidy as the head coach? I don't know if his coaching is going to make or break the difference just because, obviously, when you get you know relatively far into the postseason, Almost all teams are getting very good coaching. Just like I would not say, you know, as we're on the cusp of the Stanley Cup final here, I'm not convinced that John Cooper and Jared Bednar are going to decide ultimately who wins the Stanley Cup in the end. I think they're both very good coaches. I think they're going to both try to make good decisions and put their teams in the best possible way to succeed. But when it comes down uh, to the playoffs, obviously, it's so much about execution and what you're getting out of your best players night in and night out. Just like while I think Pete DeBoer deserves some blame for the Knights not getting it done in the playoffs during his tenure, especially on the power play, uh, he also, you know, would have liked Mark Stone to score uh, a point in that series against Montreal last year. And obviously Stone got skunked. The Knights lose in six games. So it's always, you know, one of those things where in hockey, and this is true in a lot of sports, where the coach probably gets too much credit when things are going well and too much blame when things are going poorly. I just think for the Knights, you can probably expect that he's going to provide a baseline template for this team to be successful in the regular season, probably in the postseason as well, since he's won around in four out of his last six seasons uh, in Boston. And then it'll probably be up to the players and their execution and how well uh, they're clicking, whether the Knights end up going farther than that. So break him down for our listeners. You had all the stats that we had here on the show earlier in, in your story today. Who is he as a coach? What can they expect to see? Yeah, so the biggest thing with Bruce Cassidy is, you know, I know obviously everyone talks about Barry Trust as this elite defensive mind, which obviously he is. Uh, but Cassidy 
is right up there. Uh, the Bruins were first in goals allowed across his entire tenure. They never finished worse than fourth in terms of goals allowed in any of the five full seasons he was there. As coach, this team just does not give up a lot defensively. They won the Jennings Trophy once uh, under his tenure there. And, you know, kind of the underlying numbers support those results as well. I mean, the Bruins gave up the fewest scoring chances and high-danger scoring chances per 60 minutes at 5-on-5 last year. His teams just did not give you a lot. So I think that's kind of his calling card of how disciplined and how structured his teams play defensively. And then I think that Knights fans are probably going to want to hear is he's also had a lot of success on special teams. Uh, Both his power play and penalty kill never finished in the bottom half of the league during his time there. In fact, there were four out of five years, both his power play and penalty kill were in the top ten. Obviously, when you're talking about the power play, he had a lot of weapons to work with because you're talking about David Pasternak as a sniper, Brad Marchand as a playmaker, same with Patrice Bergeron, Charlie McAvoy is a very good quarterback back there during that Stanley Cup final run. They had Tori Krug, who's a very good uh, power play quarterback. So he had some pieces to work with. But obviously you look at the Knights' talent too, and it's not like they are devoid of offensive firepower. So I think it's reasonable to expect that he is going to be able to get more out of the Knights' power play than we've seen over the last couple of years. And even though Pete DeBoer initially kind of raised the, the penalty kills level, that took a big dip last year, and that's been a strength of Bruce Cassidy as well. So I think those are two things that stick out right away, is that his teams have been really good uh, defensively at five-on-five. They've been strong on special teams. Um, They haven't necessarily been a huge offensive team at five-on-five, but that's still been enough of a recipe where they've been just extremely successful over the last six seasons. Uh, You know, in Cassidy's tenure, the Bruins were – you know, second in points percentage, second in wins. Uh, like I said, first in goals allowed, uh, third on the power play, third on the penalty kill. I mean, they were just right up there in basically every important category in the NHL. Is Bruce Cassidy the head coach of this team for three full seasons? Well, I mean, at this point, based on the night's track record, you would have to say no, right? And we'll <laughs> see. Three seasons probably could end up being doable if he has success. But the whole shelf-like thing is interesting because that's ultimately what seemed to have him fired in Boston is that, uh, you know, the general manager, Don Sweeney, was pretty open about, like, look, like his message takes a toll on guys. I mean, I think because of that kind of stingy defensive profile that he demands from his teams, guys get kind of sick of it seems like his constant harping all the time of, like, where to be in the defensive zone, where to have your stick position stuff like that. He expects a lot from his team. And it seems like after, like I said, almost six seasons in Boston, that players were kind of getting tired of that message, even though it had delivered phenomenal results to that point. So, you know, obviously three years would be a lot shorter than his Boston tenure, but it does certainly seem like he has an expiration date as a coach, obviously just, I think the Bruins are going to look back on uh, his tenure fondly, even if at one point they decided that it was time to move on and get a different voice in there. Despite the, or beyond the voice, uh, does the tenure only depend on winning the cup? I mean, it certainly feels like it, especially given how high a bar the 
coaches that came before him, you know, set. Obviously, we're talking about Gerard Gallant. Uh, went to the Stanley Cup final his first year. Pete DeBoer went to back-to-back uh, semifinals to open his tenure. I mean, Bruce Cassidy, obviously, with the pedigree that he brings and the success he just had in Boston, uh, he's got to meet those expectations, which are probably unfair to him, but that's kind of the template this franchise has set with moving on from these coaches and kind of constantly searching for a better option that's out there. And obviously it's going to be tricky when you look around the conference, you look around the league, and you look around the night's salary cap uh, issues that they're going to have this offseason. It'll be interesting to see whether they can get back to Stanley Cup contention and be one of the final four, final two teams remaining next year. But obviously I think when you bring in a guy of Cassidy's stature, those are kind of your expectations. And obviously it's going to be a challenge to meet them, but he certainly has the talent and acumen to at least give it a shot. Well, he has been goats from the review journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Great stuff. Hey, no problem guys. Happy to do it. So Ben goats from the review journal, Uh, the power play part is interesting that he's had really good power play numbers there. Really good players, like Ben said. Yeah, which, like, the Golden Knights have good players, don't they? <laughs> like, it's it's just been, their power play struggles have been so bizarre because this is a team that should have the top-end talent to be a good power play mm-hmm. unit, but they just, they just don't. They just haven't done it for years now. But also, we kind of go back to something we mentioned earlier, they don't really have the true goal scorers. Like they don't have just, yeah, that guy's going to score a lot of goals for you. Right. Like they have the, the model player that the golden Knights have gone after for the majority of its existence have been the 200 foot guy, the guy that's, you're not going to lose much when he's on the ice defensively or offensively. Right. It's never been, Oh, we're getting the guy who's just like William Carlson, right? William Carlson, Mark stone. Like those are both the, those are the prototypical, like, yep, that guy plays, the entire length Both of the ends, ice, yeah. we, we can put them on the uh, ice for a defensive zone face-off, offensive zone face-off, whatever. But none of those guys are just like, oh, yeah, he's a true goal scorer. So I think that's where some of the problems are. But I'm sure just a this different voice on the power play. I was going to say, you know, that was, different my next, voice. that was my next statement. You right. know what's coming. Different voice. Different voice in the power play. That's right. <laughs> Fresh, like, fresh voice. Just changing the scheme, and I'm not going to pretend to know what Bruce Cassidy's power play scheme is, but just changing the power play scheme will probably go a long way in towards helping them Be score better. a few more goals. But I don't know that they, they have talent, but I don't know that they have the right talent to ever have a legitimately like good top-of-the-league power, power play. play. They just probably aren't going to have that, especially if they have to subtract somebody well, this offseason. Again, it goes back to roster management and who's yeah. even going to be on the team. Yeah, I mean, if they end up subtracting Pacioretty, who's scoring for this team right. next year, right? I mean, that's uh, who? I have no idea who's scoring for this team. So they subtract, um, you know, Dodonov and Alec Martinez or something. Okay, like, well, that's about as easy as you could lose $10 million against the cap right there, so... We'll see what they have to do. Coming up next, we'll jump into some NFL as some quarterbacks that aren't happy have actually shown up for practice. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. We had two quarterbacks this week show up for mandatory minicamp. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore and Kyler Murray in Arizona. Lamar Jackson skipped all the voluntary workouts and practices with the Ravens up until now. 
Uh, he's in the final year of his rookie deal. Kyler Murray, he's in the final year of his contract as well. Uh, Kyler Murray obviously has had an interesting offseason, deleting all his Instagram stuff relating to the Cardinals, then coming back to it, but still hasn't gotten a new contract. What, what are he, both of these teams doing? Like, well, why would they not have already given their quarterbacks new contracts? Because they're both eligible for extensions off their rookie deals. Do you think Lamar Jackson wants to stay there? Because there's been the theory thrown out that the reason he hasn't actively negotiated is because he doesn't want to stay there and he, he wants to, he wants to go elsewhere. But if that's the case, wouldn't the team make that known because they would want to make it known that they are negotiating with them and they're trying to sign him to a long-term deal. If I'm the Ravens and that's the case, I wait until the season's over to make that public. Like I, I'm like, okay, you want to play somewhere else. Well, you're playing here for this season. We're going to try to win. And then after the season, we're going to throw you under the bus and say, it's your fault. I would do it after the season, not now. From the Lamar Jackson side, should he want to go somewhere else? Is he going to be anywhere near as good as he is in Baltimore in any other scenario? Probably not. They built, like, the, the credit... Everything's around him. Right. The credit the Ravens deserve is they drafted Lamar Jackson and then built that offense around. Right. Now, they have not given him good wide receivers ever since he's been there. But they built their offense around Lamar Jackson's skill set. And they deserve credit for that because a lot of teams will draft a quarterback and say, here's how we run it. You got to figure this out. We're not going to tailor things to you as much as the Ravens did for Lamar Jackson. And so I, I wonder if, if he goes legitimately anywhere else that's not as flexible or as willing as Harbaugh was in Baltimore, is he going to be anywhere as productive, anywhere as good as he's been in his time with the Ravens. So I, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I mean, maybe there's some off field reasons why, but I don't know that I'd be eager to get out of Baltimore. I'd be wanting to stay in Baltimore as long as I could. To your point, it's the youngest wide receiver group in the NFL. No one's older than 25. No one's played more than two seasons in the league. Who's their best receiver? Like Rashad Bateman supposed to be their number one guy this year or something like that. It was a rookie last year. Like they do he's, not have a good wide receiver. He's the one group. who tweeted yesterday. Yo, I seen Lamar Jackson today. He good. Oh, that's right. He's the one. He's breaking the news on Lamar <laughs> yes, Jackson exactly. showing up. Yeah. So I just, I'm curious there what exactly the Ravens thought process is, or maybe it's what Lamar Jackson's thought process is, because that one seems like a, like if you're, it, it, that seems like a no brainer to me on both sides that they're going to agree to a contract. It's going to be a massive deal, but I don't know what the thought process is. The Kyler Murray one, and we've talked about it throughout the off season. He's the one where I think there's a legitimate chance the Cardinals do not want to commit mm -hmm. to him. I think there's a legitimate it's chance. Different the Cardinals, than Lamar. Right. Where the Cardinals have said, we don't know that we want to pay you right. 40 million, 40 million year because year. we don't think you're that good. Right. We don't think we can win if we're paying you 40 million. We can win if we're paying you 25, 7 million on your rookie contract, but we don't know if we can win paying you 40 million. And that one makes a lot from the team not doing it. That one makes a lot more sense to me because what have they done with Kyler Murray, right? He's had some great moments. There've been times where you see Kyler Murray and think, oh yeah, that guy is really good, but he hasn't done it for a full season. They haven't had any postseason success. Like I do wonder that one makes a lot more sense to me. If you're trying to figure out why that maybe the Cardinals are just saying we cannot commit right. that much money to him. We'd be better off trying to find a cheaper quarterback somewhere else. He's not on his fifth yet, is he? It is last year of his rookie deal. Yeah. So he's in the 20s. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't, it's, it's weird to have, like we talked about it with Derek Carr a lot and made fun of the whole got to get to know him and everything. But like they got that done like two months ago, right? Like we thought yeah. the Derek Carr stuff dragged out for a while. What, what's that? Like teams really just taking this long with their quarterback? I'm like, not so sure. Again, you, I think you're, you're right on both facts and factions, but I'm not, not so sure that Lamar wants to be there, man. Okay. Like had his worst season last year. They didn't make the playoffs for the first time since he's been the quarterback. Now, he got sacked a ton of times, and he got hurt, and he missed the last four games. That whole team so was that, hurt. The, the entire the guys are blowing out their you know ACLs walking to lunch. <laughs> Lamar, <laughs> Lamar's just waiting until they get through training camp. Did they? And he's like, okay, did, nobody blew out their Achilles. Yeah, I'm they had like two go. guys blow like back-to-back knees and plays. Achilles on back-to-back yeah. plays. It's like, which is incredible. So maybe Lamar's just waiting like, all right, if we get through training camp without significant injuries, I'm in. But if one guy's Achilles goes out, <laughs> or one get ACL, me the hell out of get here. Get me out of here. I'm sitting out the whole year because this place, there's something wrong. But, yeah, I do either one sign before the season starts then? I, I don't think I Kyler don't think Murray do. does. I don't think they do. Well, I don't think Murray does. Yeah, and if and if your thoughts on Lamar, if, if that's the reality that he might not want to be in Baltimore, then he's not then signing. he doesn't. No. Yeah. And so that would be... That'd be a fun uh, lead into next offseason if you have like a Kyler Murray and a Lamar Jackson becoming free agents. That'd be fun, especially if if Kyler actually has a good season, right? That'd be be interesting, you know, with the one year out around here. <laughs> there is a one year out. People keep forgetting that part. It's a good. It's a good detail. It's a good detail of the contract. The one year out. It for, is. Uh, like, yeah, yeah this number. three-year window, things are going to be yeah, great. Exactly. A lot of passes. Devontae Adams, oh, one year? Yeah, we didn't make the playoffs. See you yeah. later, Derek. Uh, this Lamar, Lamar Jackson guy is available. available. We're going to make that work instead. Or, you know, this Kyler Murray guy. Let's do him instead.